You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network brought to you by Lacrosse Boots. So here's what Lacrosse has recently done. They've taken their 100 plus years of experience to create a new line of lace-up hunting boots called the Navigator Series. Now the Navigator Series comes in two options, the Atlas for men and the Windrose for both men and women. Now if you want to find out more about their high-quality awesome boots you need to go to lacrossefootwear.com hey guys welcome to land and legacy podcast this is your host adam keith we're co-owners of a consulting company called go figure land and legacy this is your number one podcast resource for all things land each week we're breaking down topics from land management habitat management conservation farming practices and real estate we hope you guys enjoy it All right, guys. Welcome, welcome back. Um, thanks for coming and joining us again. This is Adam here, and we are joined by a good friend, guest of ours, uh, returning guest. Was on probably eight months ago or so, Mister Casey Morgan. Casey, do you want to give us a little idea of your background? We've got, I guess, to to open it up. Um, how how many years did you run the blood trailing tracking business? Um, well, actually just, just under a decade. Okay. So, yep. And, uh, I no longer do it as a business to so just do it on the side a little bit every now and then for close friends and relatives. Gotcha. Um, so Casey had a blood tracking business. I noticed your license plate today was, uh, what is that? Track them? Track them. Yep. Yeah. So, uh, you ran a blood trailing business for almost a decade of trailing white tail deer. Yep. And you worked for one or multiple outfitters? Uh, yeah, well, I started just doing it for people that called, you know. you know, yeah. I, I spread the word kind of word of mouth and had a Facebook page when Facebook page weren't as popular as they are now. Yeah. And uh, so the name of the business was Bloodhound Deer Trackers. So anyone then at that time, if you got online and looked up, I need a bloodhound or a deer tracking hound, you know, it kind of popped up first. So in central wisconsin and i kind of hung close to there at first and uh that's how it got started but then when i got hired as an outfitter then mm-hmm. out in ohio i did it for several outfitters out there while i was outfitting just helping out with the clients if you couldn't find their deer gotcha uh, we would do that so how many deer do you think you tracked in a lifetime or with in, my dog in in, in a lifetime or in a with your dog I, i'll i know this the the most busy year that we had with bloodhound deer trackers there was 96 tracks i ran in one fall gotcha. so and that was the most busy so you know digressing down from there i think the first year we did it we did 40 or 50 and then it was between that 60 to 90 for every mm. year after that so quite a few per year and then obviously as you're growing up hunting you track plenty of deer every time your buddy shoots one or whatever oh yeah for sure it. but but uh as a as a business probably over 10 years, averaging, you know, 60 to 70. So between 700 and 1,000 tracks, you know. Yeah. Over well, that time. Over that time. So <clears throat> I know we've, we've got a lot of things we want to discuss in this, but we're basically talking about the 
the art of tracking deer. Sure. And pre-show we talked about shots to avoid, broadheads, selection, and and there's no bias here. We're just trying to figure out what you, in your experience, what you uh, what you found. But uh, I definitely I'm interested. So you started this tracking deal. What what made you decide to try to to train a dog to trail deer? Sure. So growing <clears throat> up, we always had beagles. And we would run rabbits with beagles. Yeah. And as many houndsmen know, if a beagle or a dog is gun shy, it's basically useless as a hunting dog. Yes. And um, I had saved up to purchase a beagle from a very good bloodline in the area that tracked at a local beagle club that we were familiar with. Yeah. And we got the dog, got it as a puppy, raised it up, didn't have anything that occurred that was out of the ordinary for a normal puppy. The dog ended up being gun shy. Mm. So I'm looking around searching for things that maybe I can do with this beagle. Yeah. And this was, you know, I was a deer hunter and I hunted rabbits. So I was like, okay, it just made sense. Let's just see if we can get it to track wounded deer. And looking back at that, I'm sure the way that I tried to train that dog was ridiculous. How would you go about training that dog? I mean, what I did at that point in time was use basically cattle blood, any blood that I could (laughs) find, you know, because you just, you know, you don't shoot enough deer to gather blood from it. Yeah. So that's what I started with, and, and that's the way I started working it. And then as the dog got going, I just tracked a bunch of deer. And mm-hmm. it ended up getting to be pretty <clears throat> decent, but I don't know if many people are familiar with beagles, but many of them don't like to deal with any size body of water. They just don't cross it. They're short, they're not good swimmers, and they don't like doing it. So hmm. we would track with this dog, and any time we would come to a river or a sizely creek, it End of line. <laughs> was over. <laughs> So, so then I, I'm like, okay, I can't have this. I need to make, it's time to make the next step. I'm a little more knowledgeable now. And I ended up getting a bloodhound, um, out of a line in the UP that was the parents were search and rescue dogs. Yeah. So a tracking line, you know, with a little bit more experience with what I was trying to do. And then also through that, I formed a relationship with a, a good buddy of mine that owned a high fence hunting preserve. Yeah, And so during that time, we then used the high fence hunting preserve to train the dog on just purely live tracks because, in a, you know, you're managing the herd 365 days in a high fence. So anytime they would have tracks occur, we'd be over there tracking. That's how I ended up training that dog. So there's I'm more interested right now. That all sounds great. But what <laughs> happened to the beagle? <laughs> oh, he, he stayed around. His name was Chase. He <laughs> stayed around for a long period of time. But, um, yeah, it was very frustrating. You know, getting to that and, and having him shut it down any time there was a creek crossing. Yeah, and very frustrating for a dog to be gun shy. Growing yeah. up, we we had beagles and bird dogs. Yeah. And uh, there was a bird dog that had got one point. Same thing. Nothing traumatic. Scared to death yeah. of anything. So the dog would always get out of its pen, climb, dig, whatever it could do during Fourth of July firework celebrations. Um, it'd get it'd get out of dodge, and then. <laughs> Anytime you shot, like, out of Dodge. And so it's just like, what What good is this dog? Oh, yeah. And uh, then a beagle, you know, well, he's he's a, he's a in the hound family, so yeah. surely he's got a nose on him. But, nope, he's not a swimmer. Yes. Oh, man, that yeah. had to be frustrating. It was, but it was a lot of learning. And, and it, it ended up formulating a passion that I wasn't that, you know, that fired up about at the time. But I've kind of started doing it. And the more I did it, the more I fell in love with it. I told you on the way over here when we were talking, I said, next to killing a deer yourself, it's, for me, the second most entertaining thing you can do as a hunter. I mean, tracking mm. deer is, it's an art, like you said, and, it, and it's extremely fun and can be extremely rewarding. 
yeah. are extremely frustrating. <laughs> oh, I I go back because in my head I haven't I've only been on a few a few tracks. Probably, I, I guess, all said and done, a dozen tracks where dog was involved. Sure. And all those track jobs were like the worst. It's probably the scenario you hated, where you you tire yourself looking yourself, and then it's like, fine, call the dog. This is our Hail Mary pass. Sure. Call the dog. We've already stirred everything up. And then the dog comes out, and everybody's expectations are low. The hunter's probably thinking, well, we're not going to find it, but whatever. Yep. And uh, and then here comes the man with the dog, and he's like, yeah, we're going to find it. And you're like, shut up. No, we're not. And then all of a sudden, you start tracking, and, and I don't know, half the time we found it. Sure. Um, that was just with a, a lab most of the time, and another time was with a, a bloodhound. Sure. Yeah, so, um, yeah, so – Walk me through some of your like experiences as far as uh, shot angles. Sure. What shot angles when when you get to a when you get to a client and he's like, I hit it this way, and, and of course, I, I'm sure one of the worst things, one of the biggest flaws that we have is we always see what we want to see. So it's like, oh no, he's perfectly broadside, and then you get there and you see the entry and exit, or you find the deer, and you're like. There's no way that was broadside. You shot in quarter and two. You shot in quarter and away. I'm sure that's one. But what is it when when you go up to a client? And you're like, all right, where'd you hit him at? And he says, well, I hit him here. Is there was there a time or was there a shot angle that you're like, oh man? Yeah, I mean, generally speaking, anytime you hear someone tell you they hit him high, yeah, it's usually pretty. You're Bad. you're in for a long night or a long track job. Yeah, um, and I guess that's because. That chest cavity has to fill up with blood enough to pump it out of the high hole, the high wound. Correct. And because of that, a high wound is less stressful to a deer. As far as getting shot with a bow and arrow or a gun goes, it's less stressful because, like you said, there's not as much anything, there's not as much vitals up there, and it takes a long time for the blood to get to that point where it's so because they're less stressed the stress of the animal is what the dog is tracking. It's no different than a pack of coyotes or wolves used to track a sick or an injured deer. Yeah. It's the same thing that you're teaching your canine to follow. So the less stress that animal is, the harder it is for that dog to track it. Gotcha. Then, obviously, the less sign. I mean, if a deer is bleeding like a stuck pig, it's easy for the dog to follow. That's a very, you know, that iron content in the blood and everything smells quite potent. But that high hit, I would say, because they can go far and fast right away, and I don't know if, if you've experienced this, but usually when a deer's hit high, they come, they book it out of there and they don't stop. I yeah. mean, they're, they're taking off for five, 600 yards at a clip and they're not stopping for quite some time. Mm-hmm. Whereas a deer that's hit paunch or so, they don't go very far before they stop. They get hit and they're like, oh gosh, you know. Yeah, something ain't right. Yep. Yeah. So that high shot. And then as far as angles go, facing or quartering too severely are probably the worst angle when I hear this uh, a hunter describing to me what they encountered. That's one, because facing from a tree stand, the way most people hunt, uh, it just creates a very small window. Yeah. And then severely quartering to the front shoulder basically blocks your vitals from you. Now, if I hear mm-hmm. from a guy explaining that the deer was slightly quartering to and they hit him behind the shoulder, generally speaking, that's liver cuts. Yeah. And for a dog, given enough time, if the hunter gives a deer enough time and doesn't blow them out of the countryside, 
um, it's usually a pretty easy track for the dog. Mm. But, um, yeah, anything high, anything facing. Now, facing from the ground, every time I've had someone call and tell me that, it's been a seriously devastating shot. I know oh, that yeah. you would never, I mean, but from the ground, for whatever reason, if you get into the chest cavity from the ground on that angle, it seems to tear That's why up. I think, I wonder if that's because, or why you see oftentimes elk hunters will take that facing two shot. Yeah. Uh, there was a video going through social media a couple of years ago where a guy took a, like a, it looked like a kind of a longer shot on a facing elk and clipped him right at the bottom of the brisket and the and the elk kind of like stood there and you could just see blood just pumping out hit him right in the heart yeah and uh so i think that's why you probably see a lot of elk hunters not hesitating in that front they're on the ground most of the time they're shooting him straight into the chest cavity and it's just going right into the vitals uh, yes um man yeah so Walk me through, if if you had to prioritize, if you could, would you rather hear a, like, walk me through kind of prioritizing shot selection as far as location on an animal? Um, and I, I guess that's probably unfair because it depends on the head, the broad head of choice. Because as we talked pre-show, if you're using a fixed blade broad head, where would you rank it, let's say, front shoulder brisket versus behind, right behind the shoulder versus further back in the chest cavity? Sure. Well, with a fixed blade, um, as we talked, you know, you're all, you have a lot more leeway forward in the animal with a fixed blade. Yeah. If you versus a mechanical, mechanical broadheads are not made to go through a lot of dense muscle and bone. They're just not made to do that. Usually yeah. you see a lot of blade with, and it's not a very thick robust blade yeah. they're meant to throw and create as much hemorrhaging in the wound as they possibly can of a mechanical i'm talking about now a fixed blade um you can you know you got a little more leeway toward the front shoulder um you can afford to be a little more forward now i'm not saying try to slam a deer in the front shoulder with an arrow yeah. at any point in time and we're talking basically because obviously you want to aim for for me i've always aimed bottom heart Mm-hmm. kind of like some people say lower third but i almost go below that if you want to say the bottom quarter uh or sure. the cor- if you were to section off a deer's body horizontally into quarters four different pieces i would try to hit right there at that first intersection between the low part and the second part and uh so if a deer reacts you hit him in the lungs yep. if it doesn't react you hit him square in the bottom of the heart and he ain't going to go very far at all i, I think of a hunt couple years ago with matt actually filming on my family farm i shot a deer his 40 yards but i hit him right in the heart and he ran 10 yards and fell over dead sure yep. um but if you're looking at you know <laughs> that's where you aim sometimes a lot of times they react okay great but if you're shooting a mechanical mm-hmm. and you hit and you're aiming you're still trying to hit the heart or lungs yep but Mistakes happen, yep. deer move, misranged, whatever, adrenaline, and you don't make a good shot. Would you rather a fixed blade guy go to the guts or towards the shoulder? So if you're a fixed blade guy, then I would say you know, you'd know you be better off being a little bit further forward. If you're a mechanical guy, it's definitely you don't want to be anywhere near the forward third of the deer. You would rather yeah. end up being back. A yeah. fixed blade, you know, 
many fixed blades that you use, it's it's a hole puncture basically. When you mm-hmm. if you shot it through a piece of paper, you know, and you and you stuck your finger through there, it would be you know essentially a hole that it would create. So th- making a small hole through the paunch or the guttural area, generally it's going to take a long time for that deer to expire. Yeah. Whereas, uh, let's call it a two and three quarter inch. Yeah. Uh, mechanical broadhead i mean that's going to be devastating for your back and also if you miss forward with a mechanical you're completely out of luck yeah it just slams in a bone and sometimes it can punch through but it's not a it's not a lottery i want to play exactly and you hear you hear nothing in white-tailed deer hunting is absolute so you can't sit here and say all don't you know you can't hit a deer with a mechanical in the front shoulder because there's always three guys or five guys out there that have some story that they smoked him with a mechanical (laughs) whether it's true or not (laughs) and and there's always a guy that said you know he he shoots swears by fixed blades and he hits them anywhere and they die no matter what but but i mean rule of thumb you have more leeway to the front with a fixed blade and you have more leeway to the back with a mechanical broadhead just because of the size of the cut. Yeah. So, like, when we're sitting here talking about this, as a deer tracker, like, I don't get called if if it's a good shot. Yeah. You just don't. No. So, but you hear that it's a good shot all the time. But <laughs> you, yeah. don't, you don't get a phone call. So, for me, the number one thing that I would like to hear is a guy shooting a big mechanical broadhead that says he hit the deer back. Yeah, I know that if I give that deer enough time and I put the dog and work things properly, that we're going to find that deer without a shadow of a doubt. Because yeah. the deer is going to expire and there's going to be a heck of a lot of scent there. Yeah. Um, if you hear mechanical, oh, I hit him high or I hit him forward, and you're going to hear the same story. I've got eight to ten inches of penetration. They're going to say, which seems like enough, but it's a false, you know, it's false fight on the arrow because it hit and deflected or whatever. Uh-huh. And then, you know, they said the same story. I hit him a little forward. I didn't get a ton of penetration. What kind of broadhead do you have? It's mechanical. You're automatically in your mind going, man, my, the odds of recovering that deer are slim. I can tell you multiple stories of, I can tell you multiple stories of mechanicals and front shoulders and never find them. But you get that bright red blood, and you're like, yep. I still feel good. And he bleeds for a long, long time. Yes. And then it just finally fades away, and you're like, I don't know what happened. <laughs> yeah. And you're like, hit and him then in the muscles. once that, exactly, hit him in the muscles. Um, and, and, and you might even get what appears to be that f- frothy, like, lung bubbles, but it's like there's so much moving with that front leg jarring around that you might have a, what appears to be a pop bubble yeah but it's just uh, a bubble from from basically the jostling of the front shoulders and and i tracked so many so many growing up of buddies and 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 i i don't want to mention his name but <laughs> he's my he's my he's one of my brothers um and i only have one so we all know who it is <laughs> but he shot a couple in the shoulders um that with a mechanical and we never found them and and uh like he he kind of during that span of a few years he drifted forward and hit him in the shoulders and then there was a span where I drifted back and sh- and hit him in liver lungs or or liver guts and and uh, so we both have our flaws <laughs> sure um, but we definitely had those experiences and then I could tell you of multiples that we never found that were shot with fixed blades that was that was back in the body yeah and. Uh, and those are the ones where you're just like, man, it's just you're you're following gunk, and it's not a fun track job. Yep. But then you throw in a big two-blade expandable 
in the guts and you give them plenty of time and it's like, oh. Yeah, they just can't. There's too much. Can't take it. Too much trauma there with it. You know, going back to what you said about the blood. So all blood contains oxygen. Yeah. So there's going to be, you know, it'd be cool on a podcast if you could share a picture of it because frothy lung blood almost doesn't appear to be blood. If you really, I mean, yes, it's red, but it's almost like a, almost like I don't even know how to explain it, but like other than like a margarita slush on the top, yep. you know, that's, that's a right. red. Yeah. You know, it's so foamy that you cannot mistake it for anything but what it is. Whereas if you look at blood and you're like, is that a bubble? Yeah. If you're saying, is that a bubble? Is that lung blood? If you're sa- asking yourself that question, it's not. Yeah. <laughs> I, I pretty much assure you of that. Either <laughs> you look down and be like, oh my gosh, that's. That's lung blood, you know. He's, yeah. Or it's not. I mean, because it's, yeah. if you're having to question, it's that, no it's mistake in it. Not usually, no. Yeah. You you said something that made me laugh. You don't usually get called for. Um, you don't usually get called for the easy track jobs. Correct. What's the furthest you ever tracked a deer and found it? Oh. I'll. It was the same track and. This is, this is, uh, I haven't received the phone call now going back to the story. I got the phone call 48 hours after the deer was shot. So we're talking about two days since yeah. the deer has been hit. Yeah. And, um, the deer went, uh, it was 1.75 and change. So a mile, almost two miles. Um, and after two days, a two day old. Now, an interesting thing transpired here. It was in the early part of the season. We got on the track two days later, and we're able to follow it decent. And as you got further, and the the, the third day that we got on it, basically, because I got the call at 48 hours, so I got there after that. Yeah. The temperature went from 60 to 88 degrees. Oh. So that deer that had been out there for over 48 hours, which was unable to be found, and they had another dog in there. And I don't blame the other dog. The temperatures were low then. Well, when I got there and as I got further into the track, the temperature started to rise. And as soon as the temperature came up, the deer started to smell and the dog started had an easy time finding it. So is it a long track and is it an old track? Yes, it is. But there are factors that limit that. Um, you hear a lot of people all the time saying, oh, my dog's cold nose. I ran. Realistically, you got to get there within 48 hours or sooner. And yeah. then you're... As far as length of tracks, an interesting part of tracking deer is that the further you get into a track, the more potent that scent will get because the deer crossed that path sooner than it did earlier in the track. Does that make sense, what I'm saying? Yeah. So the further you get, the closer you get where the deer is dead, that track is not as old as in the start. So the scent actually increases as you get into the track further along. Yeah, makes if sense. If you're on the deer. Yeah, if you're on the deer. You were running bloodhounds, right? Yes, sir. What other breeds have you ran or know of working? Uh, like, uh, I see a lot of guys trying to find little small breeds yep. that they don't have to feed 100 pounds a day or a, w- a yes. week to keep to keep fed. Um, you ran bloodhounds, ran a beagle. Have you ran any other breeds? Uh, I have not. I have witnessed... Um, I've witnessed Bavarian Mountain Hounds. Yep. They're, uh, if you look them up, they're a very interesting dog. They're um, they're quite a bit smaller. I would say 40 pounds around. Yeah. Um, and they're a very unique dog, and they're very popular. Um, the other one is a wire-haired dachshund, 
If you I've look seen at, those used a lot. Yeah, they're they're often referred to as tackles, and that's really small. Obviously, um, you know when you talk about docks and you hear a wiener dog. Now, if you put a normal American run-of-the-mill wiener dog next to a solid line European tracking tackle or wire-haired dachshund, they look significantly different. Gotcha. So the American lines have kind of mudded this up gotcha. along the way. So when you hear wire-haired dachshund, it's not the same as your run-of-the-mill wiener dog that you see that's <laughs> overweight, barely waking it down the <laughs> sidewalk. Gotcha. But that's what about one. A, what about a Texas Blue Lacey? I've heard a lot of that. Now, yeah. in Texas, you do not have to run your dogs on a leash. Gotcha. So that makes a big difference, right? Because you wouldn't use a bloodhound where you could run your dog off a leash because they're notoriously slower trackers. I, the the bloodhound that we uh, that I, I got to witness, I th- I'm trying to think of that guy, but he was tied in with Illinois Outfitters. I think the dog's name was Jesse. Sure, so you'd be talking about Tracker J, John. That's it, yeah, yeah. 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 Um, that dog worked so slow, but I just remember it like getting up on its back legs, smelling every weed that that deer may have ran by, and just going so slow, but smelling every square inch of of what he was going over. It sure. was like, my goodness, he's very thorough. Yes. Um, then I've been <laughs> one lab was like, boom, just like where you're like, I don't even think he that that dog's smelling anything. It's just kind of running. Yep. And it, both of them found deer. Um, I mean, the Jesse dogs was a notorious bloodhound for yep. tracking deer, but, um, yeah, different, different strokes for different folks, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, any retrieving dog is going to be a quartering, you know, genetically or I shouldn't say genetically, but breed specific. They're really were made as bird dogs to not get very far away from a hunter and cover yeah. a lot of ground in a broad area. Yep. So, whereas a hound is a straight line tracking dog, generally yeah. speaking. So in my opinion, and, and this is not to say that millions of labs out there aren't recovering hundreds of deer, you know, but when you're in a state where you've got to run a dog on a leash, to have a quartering dog whipping around in front of you makes things kind of difficult, right? You're going through trees and things. And the state straight line tracking hound, you know, they kind of make it able, easier for a handler to follow the dog through the track. And, yeah, but yeah. They all find deer, like you said. Um, so p- picture this. Uh, in Missouri, they have to be on a leash. And what other states do they have to be on a leash? Uh, Wisconsin, I know for sure. Missouri. Yeah. I want to say Minnesota and North Dakota have that same thing. What about Little, Iowa? Iowa does not allow tracking deer with dogs Okay. currently. What about uh, Illinois? Illinois does, and they have to be on a leash. Gotcha. Yep. Um, and then I think as you get further down to the southern states, I mean, there are some states that allow hunting deer. Well, I was just getting ready to say that. Shoot, you go you go south or you go east, and you're going to run into states where you can use them to hunt. I would love to try that someday. I would go back to. with with Matt to Virginia, and you'll get to try it. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, you got to g- give me a you know on a scale of one to ten. Ten, we find the deer. One, we or zero, we don't find the deer. Um, you, just the chances. Let's say I shoot a fixed blade. I call you up and say, hey, I shot this deer, broadside, shot it mid-body. Um, it's been two hours. Um, we haven't tracked it. Yeah, I mean, if if you're saying middle, middle, saying top, yeah, high, like, low, middle, front to yeah, back, dead, yeah. middle. Basically, if, if you were to look at the vitals, it'd be like 
I think I probably clipped liver. Yeah. So by use of a tracking dog, that shot, if we give the deer enough time, which I'm going to say right to you, the conversation isn't going to go, hey, we're going to give this deer at least 24 hours, probably going to give it a little more than that. And the odds of a, a, a dog recovering that deer are really good. Yeah. The problem with a fixed blade is if you don't use a dog, and millions of people track deer and find deer that are gut shot every year without using a dog. Yeah. It's very difficult with a fixed blade to find that deer without a dog. Because you're going to rely, because of the hole and the puncture from that fixed blade, you're going to rely on the dog to smell. If you can't smell, there's not going to be much sign. Whereas yeah. a mechanical is going to create more sign for potentially just a human being yeah. to follow and track. So, I mean, that the odds of recovering that deer with the track treated properly are pretty good with a dog. I mean, anything that you find in the guts, if you don't push them, we usually find that deer. I yeah. mean, just because they the rule of thumb is always correct. They're going 200 to 250 yards. They're going to bed down. They're going to get uncomfortable, get up, bed down again. If unpushed, they're going to make it three or four beds, and usually they'll be dead. Gotcha. In one of them. Yeah. Um, yeah. So six, seven, somewhere in there probably. Yeah, probably. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. What about a uh, mechanical that my arrow shows I have seven, eight inches of penetration, but – Loud smack, yeah, a little bit forward. Yeah, that's less than thirty percent for sure of recovery gotcha. of deer. Just because loud smack means bone. Yeah, bone is bad for a mechanical. I mean, you just don't hear. Now, like I said, there's there's op times where, especially if you're right on the edge of that shoulder blade, I've mm -hmm. seen this happen where it hits right off the edge of it and deflects, and then gets in there because truly seven inches is enough. If you yep. get seven inches into the cabin, that's why that, I said that. Yeah, that could kill, that could kill a deer. But what I've often found is, the arrow hits that hard and deflects, or the end breaks, and kind of just kind of keeps like if this is the arrow and it's hard to show, but it kind of crumples and keeps pushing in. Yeah. Now you pull your arrow out and it looks like you got seven inches, but the end is broke off. Yeah. Well, I agree, the end is broke off, and you should say, okay, well this much is still in them. Yes, but it's smashed up against that shoulder blade into a crumpled ball. It didn't yeah. penetrate through the shoulder blade. It's just sitting in their front shoulder as a big knot of carbon and steel, yeah. basically. It kind of, if you were to take your finger and try to hold it straight and just slam it into a wall, it's going to bend at knuckles and just keep wadding up. Exactly. It's, exactly. It's, and it's still sitting on the wall. And yeah. It's still, but it's not. And and then if you pulled it back out, you'd be like, ah! Yes. And you'd say, well, it looks like I got that far into that wall, but realistically, you just mash your finger. Exactly. That's yeah. that's exactly what happens. And it creates, I mean, I've had it happen where I've looked at my arm, I'm like, okay, this much has broke off. I got blood on this much. Now it should be, I've got 14 inches. Well, no. Yeah. It snapped off and broke, like, you know, and there's blood, you know, there's there's a lot of false things when looking at at, yeah. at an arrow afterwards. Gotcha. What about a uh, – uh, this is a shot that I've seen. You know, we don't even have to say what kind of broadhead we shoot, but mechanical broadhead, shoot it, clip a limb that you didn't see, curveball way back right in front of the back cam. Sure. Guy went in an hour – Two hours after he shot it, not sure if he jumped the deer or not, but he tracked it for 200 yards, backed out. He calls you. What do you think? Yeah, it's um, and it's low. This it's one low in the back. The back. This one I'm gonna say is is 50 50. Yep. So the reason is is 
the intestines are not near the tr- you don't cause nearly as much trauma from hitting the intestines as you would the paunch. Yeah. So it can take them a, a serious amount of time to expire and they can go they're not as uncomfortable either. They get hit back there. It doesn't cause the discomfort that a paunch shot would cause. Yeah. So they can go further without bedding. Mm-hmm. Once they do bed, they can get up move more long distances. Now add to it that Odds are he did push the deer because the deer didn't go much further than 200 yards to bed down at, at first. I can guarantee that. You yeah. Know what I mean, because once it got uncomfortable, um, it bedded down. But it, just given that, like you said, that angle, if he got into the opposite back hip, he would have a much higher recovery rate. Yeah. You know, or when I don't say the deer would have a higher recovery rate, the hunter would have a higher recovery rate because the more you hit if he's uncomfortable and can't move his back leg very well, he's going to bed down sooner and it's just going to cause more discomfort, more trauma, more stiffness, um everything. So that's like a 50-50. I have hit a deer myself in nothing but the intestines, hit a limb, same thing that you described and ended up back and never recovered the deer. Um but did find it expired later on the following spring. Mm, yep. And it was half mile that it went. Um, most likely, even though we waited 24 hours to track it, we were still tracking a live deer 24 hours later. Yeah. There'd be nothing for that deer to live two, two and a half, three days. Yeah. Um, Die more of infection. Yes. Yeah. So that's the other thing. Like, how long can you really wait and still be effective? You know, like, okay, you want to give the deer enough time to expire, but when you get into 48 hours, you're like, yeah. got to make a move here. Yeah. Weather usually comes in or some sort of. Yeah. So that one's, I would say, 50-50. If you, if you get something on the exit that causes a lot of pain, discomfort, or hemorrhaging, you're in <clears> the <throat> chips. If not, it's going to be a pretty tough track. Mm. Yep. Gotcha. Yeah. I mean, you ever have it, Do you have any hunts where – Growing up, were you like, man, if I only I'd have had a dog, I would have found that deer. Oh, yes, tons. I can tons. think of two in my head. I shot one on public land, um, never found it, and I know that deer's dead because he was one-lunged yep. and, and liver, and uh, we had to go home that night. And so we went in too early, and it's like, man, if, we'd have, if we could have, and being young and dumb, I, if, if we'd have gone back, backed out and gone back in five hours later and just been like, we can we can give him plenty of time. It's all right if we're late getting home. Yeah, we'd have found that deer. But if we'd had a dog, I know we'd found that deer. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, there's a bunch. I can think of. As you're growing up, you always have those. Oh, encounters. And Most of the time, it probably you got a dog because there was a a significant time where you're like, I'm I'm never doing that again. I'm going to train one. So if the case this happens again, <laughs> we're going to find that deer. Right. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And the other thing you found too is you you know. Nobody ever calls you for small deer, generally speaking. You know, they're like, <laughs> yeah, it's well, not, it's not, it's not a bad thing. It sounds bad when you say it, but it's it like, is. it's usually like, uh, like holy buckets. I really need to find this deer. Yeah, like, but I'll pay whatever. Yes, exactly. Yeah. What was the biggest deer you ever found? Um, Matt Serwa. It was two hundred one and three eighths. Yeah. It was it, that, that what, time. What state was that in? Uh, Wisconsin. Oh wow, yeah. that's a yeah. Yeah, hmm. yeah. I mean, that was the biggest deer at that time that we'd ever tracked, recovered, and I remember that phone call perfectly. He called me in the morning. He goes, "Is this Casey?" And I said, "Yeah." He's like, uh, "Can you come out and track a deer?" And I was like, "Absolutely," but we've got to get it done this morning because I've got to go and help another guy out this afternoon. 
And he goes, I'm going to need you to call that guy and just tell him that you're going to be busy for the rest of the day. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, I didn't know him that well at the time. I know him well now, but I didn't know him that well. I was like, I just can't do that. I already told him I was going to be there, you know. And he goes, well, I'll show you the pictures when you get here. And I was like, yeah, the pictures don't matter. I really need to just get in, run your track, and then get out and go to the next one. Well, the reason why he said that was not only because it was a giant deer. We were tracking in the middle of nowhere. We were over two miles back by the time we recovered it, and uh, I didn't get out of there. But I kept my word when I got out and got the deer drug out and everything. I jumped in the truck and just kept going. He's like, well, don't you want to have a beer and celebrate? And I was like, at that time, I was always all fired up. I wanted to go track some more, you know. But. <laughs> yeah, oh, that's awesome. Any, uh, we'll wrap this up, but any other uh, tips or tricks? And what about a guy who's like, I want to get a dog to start blood tracking? What what's breed would you say, you know, this breed is better temperamental or easier to work with? And Yeah, I mean, that's a tough question. Um, I would say... If you're a guy that's going to track deer basically for yourself, yeah, I would concentrate on a sporting dog that you want to have at home because any dog's got plenty of nose to do this if you train them and you work with them. But I would just pick, like, hey, if you're a lab guy or a golden retriever guy or, a, you know, even if you're – I would pick whatever sporting or hunting dog that you had in your mind, like, hey, this is a dog I kind of like, and then start training it that way because if you if it's you or just you and – or myself that are going to track throughout the year, you're only going to do at most, what, three, four tracks throughout the year. So, you know, picking a dog like a bloodhound that is big and truly and hairy and eats more food than you and I do, it seems counterproductive if you're only going to run a few tracks a year. I mean, yeah. so I would just pick, you know, what you're doing. But then I would go to work. If you really want to do it and you want to be successful at it, I would go to work with the dog, work with them a little every day and, uh, that will create, you know, the more pleasurable experience at the end of it than picking a different dog breed. Just getting the dog out, getting it work is going to be the difference, not whatever breed it is, I think. Gotcha. Okay. Very cool, man. Well, thanks for coming on. I know it was quick, quick hitter. We we got a lot of stuff. Uh, we got to cover and move forward, get ready for deer season. So we're going to wrap this one up quick and uh, get out of here. Thanks for coming on again, telling us all about blood tracking. Sounds good. Thanks for having me. Yeah.